Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So really pleased for Dave Parrott to join us on our podcast, Cat and Mouse, say on Cat and Mouse. Dave, uh, yeah, you have a long tenure at Jagex. and uh, <laughs> And uh, I think you've developed some really, um, first of all, really good ground uh, level understanding of uh, fraud and risk and payments uh, combined. And then kind of gone through, yeah, a ton of different stages in terms of leading the team there, in terms of fighting fraud uh, as well. But I- I'd love to start off with... Um, Maybe one thing I do know about you guys is you guys have a really compact team at Jagex, right? In terms yep. of fighting fraud. Do you want to kind of share with the audience a bit more about what, what you guys look like today? And we try and keep uh, a very agile approach. So we, we need to react very, very quickly. And things like that. So we, we have honed our processes down to the, the simplest format as much as possible. We try and do the base level stuff very, very well and keep it very, very direct and to the point we have very very strong kpis and ways of measuring things like that so we don't really feel like we've needed to expand the team and we've, we've had very very successful results with a very small team it used to be a team of one it used to be me for a long time ago and then <laughs> it expanded and we took on more and more responsibility yeah no, we, we try and keep it small so you mentioned something pretty critical there uh, the the kind of idea is that you shouldn't be sticking stuff into review i guess that's the nature of what you guys deal with a 24 7 kind of uh, the nature of a transaction as well. Actually, for those who aren't familiar with Jagex, maybe it's worth kind of, you know, kind of explaining a wee bit about kind of what you guys do as well. Yeah, so we're an on- online video game producer. So uh, all our products are online. It's all digital content. We offer our product around the world. We have um, players around the world. Uh, it's, I say it's 24-7. And like anything online, there's an expectation that when you buy it, you get it straight away. We measure our overall from payment to fulfillment in seconds. So the idea of a manual review in that process just doesn't work. And even if we did try and kind of limit it to a subset of our community, as with a lot of other video games, our community is very vocal. So you you mm. you set one rule for a smaller group and they will talk with the rest of them and expand. So you, you kind of have to treat everyone as equally as possible because if you don't, you know, people will start asking questions. So yeah, so we can't really work with manual review. On the flip side, we do have the advantage that we are not shipping a product. We can take more risk at the front because if we're selling digital content, there's no loss to us if we don't finally get paid for it. It's, it's, we can manage our risk much more carefully. So yes, we have shipping information. Um, so we have less data to work with, but on the flip side, we have less risk um, as well. So we, when we look at chargeback volumes, things like that, we're talking in like hundreds of chargebacks per month and so that rather than one or two based off our transaction volume. We took a very, very low average transaction value, lots and lots of transactions. So we, we have to manage uh, it very carefully in terms of like, we need to encourage that impulse buy kind of nature. So we can't put too many blockers on. We've got to let things flow kind of nice and smoothly. Things like that. But we can take more risk uh, as part of that process. And you mentioned as well, uh, I guess the nature of kind of the, the kind of fraud fighting you guys do um, and the fact that you've managed to, it sounds like, keep everything really efficient <laughs> in that in that small team. Do you think that kind of affects this kind of skill set of your team members that you're looking for when they join, you know, uh, your team there? Everyone who's been in the team has always come from our customer service department. Mm. Um, we've always sourced from that because it had, those people 
learn the game, they learn our customers, they learn uh, about how people interact with the product and things like that. So we, we quite quickly get an idea of what is normal and then can quite easily pick out what isn't normal. Um, so they have a really good skill set and things like that. And, and from our experience, it is easier to teach someone fraud than it is to teach them the nuances of the product and how customers interact with it and things like that. So uh, it kind of fits quite nicely into what we do. So uh, usually when we bring a, a new member into the team, uh, we have to invest in like, this is how the payments and fraud industry works. And this is how um, you do SQL queries and things like that and, and mass data, things like that. But they already know how to look at payment information and account information and things like that. They use quite similar tools, the, the tools we use to look up uh, an account's details, things like that, from player support to us is, is very, very similar. So they have a lot of that base level stuff already. So they, we can already kind of throw them into uh, the deep and say, look, tell me what you think. Um, right. But we don't we don't separate people in terms of like you guys are doing reviews and you guys are doing rule creation, you guys are doing reporting and KPIs. Everyone does everything. So that's the main training that we need to kind of support is like this is how you work with SQL and big data and, and things like that. And getting away from that individual investigation, like looking at a single account or a single transaction, it's moving away from that into looking at more of an overall. And and, and from that customer service team, is there particular and personality traits then you think you're looking out for and to, that would be a good fit in that team? We, we need someone who's with a good analytical mind, good at looking into the, into the details and things like that. Uh, we've got to be fast. We've got to be able to take information in very, very quickly. But you also need people who are willing to take risks, challenge the status quo. Our fraudsters change their approaches very, very quickly. They change what they're doing very, very quickly. Our processes that we have in place, we always challenge them. Just because we did something yesterday doesn't mean we're going to continue doing it the day after. We're always challenging what we're doing and iterating what we're doing, depending on what we need at that time. And that can change if we're doing big promotions or if a new product releases or anything like that. So, yeah, we need someone who can look at data, make changes quickly, potentially take some risks if we need to, but always challenge what we're doing. Never just do what we did yesterday because we did it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is interesting because I guess... It's always evolving, and in your world where it's digital goods, it's you could argue that it's even quicker with like what fraudsters are trying, what they're doing. I mean, especially with such a small team. Gosh, what, like, can you talk me through what is that process? What does it look like? Uh, you know, with, with your guys, how, how are you keeping on top of that? Yeah, so we um, we primarily use a, a rules-based engine. We hmm. have um, a data sciences team within the company who provide. Uh, recommendations through machine learning into what rules we create, but we don't have any machine learning as part of our live process. Uh, we have a huge amount of data going into our rules engine, so we give ourselves as much flexibility as we can. Then we we kind of we we've got our rules kind of split into separate categories. You've got these core rules, which are they're always kind of there. They're the, the basic level stuff, your basic level of velocity limits and things like that, which always stay there. Uh, and we kind of leave them doing what they're doing on a daily basis, and then. Uh, we have like two tiers of almost ad hoc rules where we evaluate what they do almost on a daily basis. Some it's like every other week because they're fairly stable and things like that. But there's a whole set of rules which we analyze what we do every day. Uh, we turn them off, we turn them on. We never delete them. We just kind of turn them off and then just run testing in the background and things like that. We have very good reporting, which will tell us first thing in the morning, right, this is everything that happened. This is the rules which did this and this is the rules which did that and things like that. This rule is no longer blocking as much stuff should we turn it off. This is this rule would have blocked loads of stuff yesterday. Let's investigate why and things like that. So we we try and rely on the data as much as possible to say, look, this is where you need to look into. This is what you need to consider, things like that. 
we don't have time to wait for chargebacks to come through. Our rules has changed our tactics between 12 and 24 hours. Chargeback reviewing doesn't really fit into what we do. So we, we can save a lot of time. So actually, we don't have to worry about that. It's the same thing with uh, TC policy files and things like that. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's useful, but for the most part, it's, it, it takes too long to get through. So we have to very much go off what is happening in real time, live at that time, things like that, and, and, that, and look at the data that's coming in straight away uh, and say if it's more than 24 hours old, it might well be out of date. If, you, if you're dealing with one specific customer, then you're probably, you're probably <laughs> approaching it in the wrong way. What's um, a really strange one that you've seen from your, from your side in terms of an attempt at fraud uh, recently? It, it didn't happen very recently, but the strangest thing we've ever seen was, so we, we offer our products in many different ways in terms of payment methods. We've got about 100 payment methods around the world. Uh, one of them is pay by phone rather than SMS, but you, you, you literally pick up your landline and, and call through. We had a an employee of a phone company who had hacked into the exchange on someone's street and had started processing payments through landlines all along that street. We couldn't explain it because obviously we just saw, you know, there's an awful lot of payments coming from this country. We can't go down to the street level on, on that alternative payment method. And the telephone provider couldn't explain it either until a few months later they came and said, oh, actually, yes, sorry, that was us. That was one of our guys who was obviously no longer working at the company. So that's, that's probably the strangest one where we really couldn't explain what was happening. Uh, we had all the data. We, was like, we knew something was odd and we knew something was going on, but we, we couldn't explain why. <laughs> one of the strangest one I can think of. You guys do a lot with your, your own data that you're seeing flow through the system. Now, yes. I know that um, in terms of, uh, you know, fraud technology and where it's going, especially moving more towards uh, kind of vendors that have ML models and AI models that move even more towards black box. Mm. And that sounds like it's completely against kind of what you guys are doing there. It, it sounds like... Uh, if they're yeah. incompatible with that. So we, we run with the belief that you've got to understand the data yourself. If you if you were to bring on a provider offering a machine learning solution, when you didn't understand the problem in the first place, you're always going to struggle with that because uh, machine learning is not a silver bullet. It does not solve all your problems. It doesn't do it for free either. You need to <laughs> constantly inform the model what's going on and, and keep, uh, keep it up to date. And because our forces change their tactics so quickly, you know, we need to send a lot of label data to that um, model which is great i mean you, you can do that but if you're doing that without the knowledge of how your fraudsters are working what they're doing how they approach um getting around your systems and what your data is then i think you're always going to struggle we have focused more on doing rules really well understanding our data really really well we, we use machine learning as a supportive of our rules but we can do that because we understand the problem back to front and although it changes on a day-to-day -day basis we've also got very very good at identifying that because we spend so much time with the data and we really understand the product and we really understand the motivations as to why they're committing the fraud in the first place and things like that so you've got to really understand it. it fraud is not a problem you can give to someone else and expect it just to get solved if they can keep your traffic rate low but your rejection rate might be very very high in the first to, to achieve that so you've got to you've got to balance it and for us Doing that basic level stuff, understanding the data, building successful rules and monitoring those and having very clear KPIs and structures things like that. Doing that stuff really, really well has achieved a great deal to us to the extent that we haven't needed to add live machine learning as part of our, uh, so as part of our fraud prevention because, you know, it, it takes an awful lot of effort to integrate. Um, they're not cheap. In, <laughs> 
they, you need to continue training them and things like that. I mean, I, they have value. They are, they are worth having. Um, but our charge for it right in our fraud has never got to a stage where it's been worth our time to integrate them with them. We know that we have very challenging fraudsters. We've heard that from external parties who have come in and seen what's going on. And so, yeah, so we know we don't have it easy. We just do the basic stuff well, really well. And we understand that really, really well. Being really good at the basics is kind of what I take away from that. Like you said, knowing the data, can you, can you expand a bit more, uh, you know, for the, for the audience listening? Yeah. So, so for us, knowing the data means, so, so we have the advantage that when um, fraudsters attack our products, it's because they want to do something specific within the game. They, they, they don't want, they want to play it in a strange way. It's usually to generate in-game wealth, which they can then sell on third-party websites, things like that. Hmm. So, we have an awful lot of game data, so we know exactly what they are trying to do in the game. So it's not just a fraudulent transaction that we can identify. We can actually identify the behavior, how, what, what they've bought, how are they using it. And we can use that as additional things. So we understand what they're trying to do. Um, we have a great understanding of how they go through our payment experience and things like that, and um, how they try and get round basic level fraud protection and things like that. And we also use a lot of capture delay in our processes and things like that. So we we take the payment and we, ha we have the ability to give out the goods straight away and then we can still monitor to see what's happening for a few days and if we feel like actually we've got it wrong, we can change our mind, things like that, um, without it affecting our charge rate. So we, we can take on that additional risk. But for us, it's, it's know what your force is doing, know why they're doing it, know how to identify that quickly. We've, done, we've been doing this for a long, long time, so we know mm. how to pick up on these things. Extend, understand how your payment flow works. Where does your authorization happen? Where does your postal happen? Where does your capture? Where does your settlement happen? And where do you want your fraud checks within that? We have a pre-auth check and we have a post-auth check. And we have capture delay. We have a number of different times where we can step in and take action. And, and we can manage the risk at each step. So our rejection rate is not purely based off one decision, based off however much data we have at the time. We can balance our rejection rate and our risk depending on our charge rate and um, whatever we've got going on. Do we want to do more pre-auth or post-auth or or more capture delay stuff and voiding and things like that. We can play around with lots of different levers and we have great visibility on, on how much is happening at each stage. So we can be very, very targeted on what we do, um, I guess the best way of explaining it. And at each stage, we have a huge amount of data available to us. And the, the further along the stage you get, the more data you get, the more informed decisions you get. You, you take on more risk, but and it may cost you more, but you can make clearer and clearer decisions. And we, So we work to the advantages that we have. Some other companies might have the advantage of uh, they've got to ship a product, things like that, so they can spend more time doing manual review and things like that, so they can work to their advantages. For us, our advantage is we can, we can give a product out with very little risk uh, and we can manage it and, and see how people use it and add that to our decision making. That makes a lot of sense. Is, uh, yeah, I like that phrase, play to your advantages, uh, Dave, uh, depending on your model there. And one, yeah. one thing I really get that you guys are doing is you're it sounds like you're really integrated into the business. So you've got the support advocacy, you know, of, of you know, the wider unit uh, that can give you that data. Like you said, you guys get a direct access into it. I would say most organizations aren't as tightly integrated with their risk, fraud and payments teams uh, to yeah. some of that stuff. Kind of curious to <laughs> yeah, how you'd handle it if you don't traditionally have that. We used to report into the business intelligence team. So which, which kind of, that was where fraud started. It was part of business intelligence. So it was data driven from day one. Um, and then it was staff and player support team which kind of created those connections. We take up because we manage payments and all our payment reconciliation, we have direct connections with the finance teams because obviously they need us for our side, that side of things. And, and now we sit within technology. 
So we, we have connected with many different teams over the years. So we've kind of built those relationships up over time. The hardest one to, to get more involved in, and we've been quite successful with this over the last few years, is actually more integrated into the product. We understand how it works, things like that. Mm. And the products work very closely with us in terms of like, are they doing things which they're safe? Or not are they adding to their risk or not we we don't want the game developers to have to consider fraud protection when they're making the game mm. we we want them to be able to make something which is fun engaging for our players and things like that rather than worrying about risk that's that's our primary goal so yeah we we try and integrate with the teams as as much as possible and keep those communication lines up as much as possible and for us it's actually not been too bad it, we've been it's, it's been quite easy to to engage with those teams. Um, although it's a bit difficult in the current climate, my recommendation has always been, don't send an email, have a conversation. Try and get engaged with those teams and things like that. And make sure you understand what's important to them. If For us, if we start talking to our product teams about charge rates and fraud, fraud rates and things like that, and rejection rates and things like that, that's not what's important to them. We we actually talk to them in, in terms of player sentiment, how happy are customers, how is, how is fraud impacting customer satisfaction and is it affecting how they're playing the game and things like that? That's what's interesting to them. Um, so we try and always kind of target the conversation based off who we're talking to. Um, and we also try and give a clear direction to the company of if fraud is a problem, don't worry, you'll, you'll know about it. If it's not a problem, don't worry, you probably won't know about it because you're too busy focusing on something else. We don't mind that. We, we don't expect people to be engaged with what we're doing every day to say, I don't want to have to explain what we're doing every day when it's not needed it's, it's a complex thing and you can't simplify it too much you just need to talk to people in in their language and in, in what's important for them you've spent a long time um, in the kind of fraud and payments industry and um, i'm curious to in that time um, if there's kind of areas you, you've already identified that you would love to see improved i would love to see more connection with the the banks themselves hmm. i mean we all we all work with our payment gateways and our acquirers and things like that um and I know there are companies which are trying to work on this, but I think a greater connection between the merchants and the banks would be really good. Uh, we have different views on the problem. We're trying to achieve the same thing. We all want transactions going through the system. We're all after the same same end result. Um, but um, we have access to a whole host of data about our product, which the banks don't have access to, nor would they understand, nor would I expect them to understand. The banks have access to a global view much more than I will ever do. I think there could be a lot more of a connection between those two <clears throat> two groups to really start help sharing data. And I think for that to happen also, banks and merchants alike need to start talking about fraud in the same way. KPIs, metrics, measures, performance, things like that are very, very important. And everyone does it in a slightly different way. And I know we do it differently to other people as well. You know, you could you could measure rejection rate as a basic. How many transactions have you accepted compared to how many you declined? That's a very very simple way of doing it. But we we don't measure it that way. We we look at how many because from our perspective, if you've got a customer who's trying to a, a good customer trying to make a transaction and they, and they get blocked, they'll try again and they might try again. They might try they might try five times in a day. They've not tried to buy something five times. They only wanted it once. We just <laughs> made five attempts. So you so there's different ways of measuring. Your rejection rate we look at unique customers over 24-hour period buying certain package types as our kind of our actual rejection rate things like that but i know that's different from for a lot of other companies so i think until people can start talking in more common language merchant side and bank side that's always going to be a blocker i mean if we, if we can start talking more in common terms then we can start interacting a bit more banks may be giving more 
more freedom to merchants and so they'll allow merchants to take on more risk with the understanding that they have the correct controls in place and so that so i think there and that there are companies who are trying to do this stuff mm. but it's the thing which is it's been talked about a lot and from my side it's never really come to fruition yet it's always been this this really cool idea which has never really gotten fully off the ground there's always been something which has kind of been in the way like gdpr and then it was psd2 and then obviously COVID <laughs> right now so there's always been a reason for it not to happen but that that would be what i'd always want to see is, is how can we improve these connections how can i get to a point where i can say to a bank please stop blocking my payment i'll sort it out and here's the evidence to show that i am sorting it out that's what i'd love to get to for for jagex um what do you think are like the areas of improvement then for payments and fraud big one is is bank trust in the video games industry, we have a slightly higher risk MTC. Uh, we do cross-border transactions or mm. online transactions, things like that. There's still a lot of banks around the world who who struggle with that as a concept, who don't like that as, as a risk. Our payment conversion always suffers for that. And, and I think that it, it's, it's primarily something because of risk. People are, are scared about uh, e-commerce, things like that. So I'd like to see, this is why I want that better connection between merchants and banks, because I think a lot of this can be resolved just through talking. A strong customer authentication is an interesting one for us. The current 3DS processes don't work for us, they never have. Obviously PSD2 is, is was set up to improve it. It's, you know, it's had its delays and it's, mm. it's had its issues. It's not there yet. So I'd be intrigued to see what happens there. I mean, at the moment for us, we don't have a fraud problem and touch wood we haven't had a fraud problem for a very long time for us the biggest impact on fraud is our our impact on our payment conversion rate due to fraud right. that's what we'd like to really work on resolving and improving and there's more information on how do, how does your fraud because we know fraud and payment conversion connect but no one can really actually set some hard numbers against that no one can really say oh if your if your charge rate is below x is but basis points this is what happens to your conversion rate no one has that data no one has those exact figures i would love that uh, other than it just being stay under the charge but thresholds okay well once you've done that there's a huge amount of space below there how far do i go the further down i go that charge rate you know i, I have to be more stringent on my rules and being more stringent no fraud system is 100 percent accurate you will always block uh literature users the more strict you get so from a merchant's point of view what's the benefit of being stricter and stricter what's the benefit of going from a 90 basis point charge rate to a 10 basis point charge rate but from my side I, I, if i had a clear understanding of what that is i could un, i could then kind of go okay this is the cost of achieving it this is the benefit of achieving it don't just get below your charge rate actually get really far below and this is the benefits you'll see from it you're right that's uh, that's one of those industry problems that needs to be solved as well right clarity over yes where on the scale you need to be yeah yeah because i yeah and, and i appreciate there's a lot of companies out there who are just trying to get under the, the chargeback thresholds that's a, that's a challenge in itself and, and i get that but there's also a lot of companies um who have for the most part solved that problem mm. um, and they're they're really optimizing and they're leading the way in terms of what fraud protection means and what they can do and things like that for the juniors uh, dave coming into kind of the fraud fighting world uh, mm. so if you're an aspiring fraud manager just entering in in your first year or so any good tips you've learned from the trenches that you think uh, are, are always useful to keep in mind uh yes yeah, so if, if you're if you're new to the fraud industry i'd say if you're in the fraud industry you're in the payments and fraud industry you can't separate the two in my mind you got to have you have to understand how payments work uh, how they're authorized how they go through your system how they go to your acquirers and things like that you've got to know because until you know that flow you don't know where you can influence that flow based on 
for protection things like that. so get a full understanding of that understand how it's measured whatever work you're doing consider how you can do it more efficiently how could you automate that process and provide the data there anytime you're looking at a single payment or a single account or bad actor things like that how could think of how could i do what i'm doing but look at a thousand at once rather than just once how do i optimize that experience with that and if i'm dependent on other teams things like that how do you remove those dependencies every single time you pass a responsibility onto another team you add wait time from waiting for them to resolve that problem and get back to you and stuff like you're just making your lead time longer and longer and longer which means you're less and less agile to solve the problem it in my mind it is not about understanding what fraud providers and vendors are out there. I mean, you might have a bad system, you know, that's, that's, that's possible. If you can't explain to me why your system is bad, then you can't go out and find a replacement because you don't know what you're looking for. Don't, don't spend time thinking we need to get this new tool or this new setup or, things, or there's this new snazzy piece of technology. No, no, understand what you have and understand it well. Understand how it impacts your business and understand that well. And then when you talk to your uh, executive teams or whatever it is about the impact of fraud and, on business you can do it in the language that they understand the name of uh, our podcast uh, dave is the cat and mouse podcast in that scenario uh, with the fraud fighter and the the fraudster who, who do you consider the cat uh, and the mouse in that instance i'd say the fraud fighter is definitely the cat because we are always chasing what the mouse is doing so you're always reacting to the fraudster um, it's very very difficult to preempt them yeah, in that analogy, I would always try and consider how can I become a faster cat? How can I respond quicker? If they're going to start doing whatever they're going to do, and how can I stop them as fast as possible? There's always going to be another mouse. You catch one mouse, there will always be another one, and it will always come quickly. So you need to get good at catching them fast, and you're going to be catching a lot of them. Well, Dave, um, thank you for your time. It's been really enjoyable uh, hearing your experiences there, and uh, I think the audience will find it really helpful as well. Thanks for your time there. No problem. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.